Hello and welcome to It's All in Your Head, a mental health podcast. My name is Eli Henry and I'm your host. Before we get started today, I just want to say that if you or anyone you love is going through a hard time, finding it hard to go on, need someone to talk to, you can always call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. They have an online chat option as well and a lot of great resources. If you're calling about someone else uh, that you want to help or about yourself, they've got a lot of stuff. So check it out. You don't need to be afraid. If you need to talk, that's what they're there for. This is episode two of season two. And uh, it's a good one. I'm excited. Last week, we had my good friend Vanessa Lopez, and the response has been wonderful. Uh, I knew everyone would enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Um, It's funny because I've said that, you know, I try not to have people on that I've known super long because I know too much about them, and it's harder for me to conduct the interview. But... It was actually, it was nice. I mean, that was my my worry. But with Velo, even though we've been friends for a long time, it was really nice to have that connection and to be able to get in there and, and just really sit down and talk about these things in a way that I don't think I get to do very often with good friends, you know. And and I'm glad that I got to share with all of you. And I know Velo is as well. We're both really happy with the response. Now, this week, we have an, another friend of mine. Uh, her name is Sugar Lynn Beard. Now, Sugar... If you're Canadian, you'll remember, um, if you watched YTV as a kid, she was the host of The Zone. And so I knew about Sugar long before I met her. Um, I met her, actually, pretty soon after I moved to L.A., because all the Canadians, we find each other out here somehow. But we've never been really close friends. You know, we've known each other, but we, you know, friendly, follow each other on social media, the whole thing. So this was another really wonderful experience because we got to sit down and actually talk and, and, and form a connection. And and it's something I think is so wonderful and rare as adults, I mean, or at all, you know, to do. So that's what you're going to hear today. Um, It's a great conversation. Sugar uh, brought up, you know, her condition, which I'm not going to get into because we'll talk about it enough soon, which I had not heard about and is something that I think should be far more widely known because I think it would help a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, so I went to her place in Santa Monica. There's a dog, her, her dog Oliver, walking around the whole time. Um, and... Uh, you know, it, it, it's a really good episode. I'm excited. I, I, I almost don't know what to say in these intros because I don't want to say too much. So without further ado, get into it. Um, stick around after the episode for a preview of next week's episode. And uh, yeah, here we go. Sugar, hi. Hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for coming over to my home. Thank you for having me. It's nice to come to Santa Monica uh, for fun, I guess, for a good reason. <laughs> like I, I feel like I'm only ever here for work stuff. Oh, yeah. And no, there's so much fun to be had down here. Right? And I I, and the, I could smell the ocean mm-hmm. from your doorstep. Yes, we are 10 blocks away. So if whatever I say really stresses you out during you just this go walk into interview, the ocean. you just go walk. <laughs> You were going to say, just go try and look at the ocean, right? I I was. I was. But you deal with your anxiety how you want to. I'm (laughs) not going to judge it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. And and, and just just for uh, everyone listening at home, we currently have uh, Oliver. Oliver, yeah. Ollie. Ollie is going to be walking around. He's uh, seven months old. He's adorable. He is adorable. He's a dog. He's a dog. (laughs) I I I still have not clarified that. Um, So if at any moment... You hear click clacking, munching. That's that's who's here. But we'll let's get into uh, more of the stuff like walking into the ocean. Um, <laughs> hopefully not. But uh, so, what what do you have? What do I have? I mean, my 
biggest life-changing kind of diagnosis was something called PMDD, which is like a very severe PMS. And Mm. it causes kind of like peaks in depression, like a pretty, pretty deep depression a few days before my period comes. And I had it my whole life, didn't know what it was, and would find myself, you know, in breakdowns or panic attacks or just, you know, when one day looking in the mirror and thinking, oh, Shug, I love you, the next day being like, shut it all down, you know. Um, so when I finally was diagnosed with this PMDD and I could look it up and figure out that it, you know, I wasn't completely losing it, mm-hmm. um, it was amazing. So we'll get into the diagnosis and stuff later, but uh, uh, how recently did you say you found that? Um, that It was three years ago now. Three years ago. Yeah. So that's a long life of not knowing why I was on such a roller coaster truly every month. Like some of them were kind of typical and normal, and I could see that my girlfriends were having spikes and, you know, uh, mood swings and all of the rest of it, but... I, you know, would find myself in, sobbing, the, you know, in my closet, you know. That's got to be tough. And, I mean, obviously, I, I can only speculate, and you can elaborate because I'm a guy. Um, so I have, I have no experience, you know, with, with, with any of that. But, I mean, I, I can only imagine how uh, frustrating and uh, crazy-making it can be to, mm-hmm. like, have something that's normal, you know, you know, it, it have something stem like this that's from something normal, and also that you know, in terms of pop culture and society, in terms of what we know, you know, all this shit in the media is basically like, oh, women are crazy on their period. So like, if that if you're inundated with that, mm-hmm. and this is what's going on, I can only imagine that that like can make it super difficult to understand what the hell's happening. A hundred percent. And and the other thing, all of that one, absolutely. But the other thing that makes it so confusing is that. It's like night and day. Like the 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 depression goes away after I get my period. So then I'm like, oh, I'm fine. It was probably just a, you know, like I'm feeling fine. I'm like everything feels great. I'm I'm back to myself. So I'm like, oh, I don't have to like worry about it right. because I'm fine again. It must have just been. And then after years and years of like, no oh, man, there's something up. Right, right, uh, and. Um did, did, did you experience a lot of dismissal from doctors and stuff when you'd bring these things up? Or did you uh, even bring these things up at first? I didn't. I didn't. Um, I did. No, it, I did. But, I mean, my life was just so busy. And it, if I was going to the doctor, I didn't think of it for mental health. Like, there wasn't a lot of talk about mental health in my home. It's not like we went to therapists or anything. Like, that just wasn't something that was readily available to me or suggested to me and um, in Canada like the healthcare system is amazing and I do remember going to a male doctor once and and he chalked it up just to PMS he's like well you have yeah you're a woman and I'm like yeah "Yeah, but and the truth of the matter is when I was home I was so busy all the time and like really successful and, and I was distracted a lot from it so I think that was helpful. But then coming out here, kind of the struggle of being an artist and financial struggle and trying to get those roles and like in the Hollywood rat race and the natural kind of downer (laughs) and like self-prosecuting that you can be in this town. We start to prioritize in a really unfortunate, shitty way, right? Yes. Yes. You really do. And you start to really, (laughs) there's Oliver just wants to say his piece. He's never picked up that chew toy until tonight. Of course. Of course. He's so distracting. He's the funniest dog I've ever had. I was telling you, he was in two different homes before me and I got him at five months. So I was like, why? He's so beautiful. I can't imagine why. They turned him away, but he's super bizarro. Like he's a weird guy. Like so. he he is not a cuddler. Won't get on the bed. He sleeps under my bed. Um, he cuddles with me once a day, which is just in the morning. Like he's very limited. Interesting. How yeah. specific? That's like my girlfriend's dog. <laughs> He'll only give kisses in the morning. Really? Morning kisses, and then at a certain point, it's the fu- 
fucking cut off. Done. It's over. Yeah, that's like him. A lot yeah. of times he's like, ma'am, don't touch me. I'm pretty sure he calls me the lady in his head. Yeah. And eventually I think we'll it'll grow more and more. But I just love him. I love his little bizarro brain And like if and he wants growing, to stare too, at me you know? from the bathroom as I sit on the couch, I mean, that's fine. Sure, me. sure. Whatever you need. Sure. Whatever you need. Whatever you need, man. Yeah, my, my dog, I got him at two. And he was found on the street for the second time oh. in his life. But he was adopted, returned a day later, and then adopted again by the shelter where I got him, by the you know the rescue. Isn't that crazy? That's Who returns crazy. a dog after a day? Don't get it. If you can't have it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, we're not here. We're not here <laughs> to talk about dogs. We, we could do it. Listen, well, everyone. A podcast. We're gonna drop into dogs a few times in this conversation. Just I just know. We it. drew you in with the with the depression. <laughs> Now we're going to go right to dogs. Um, so, okay, so, so you didn't go for, for mental health reasons to the doctors. But, uh, I mean, was there were there moments where you're like, well, this is hurting a lot. Um, would you bring that up and then just get dismissed like like from that doctor? For yeah, example? that one time I did, and I was like, I don't know, like my... That can really fuck you up, too, like when you finally bring something up and get dismissed. Yeah, that has happened a lot in my life because yeah. of the kind of roller coaster nature of this thing and also because I don't know why but you know um people are just like you just need to talk about it and I'm like no there's something else <laughs> like I can't just just talk to my mom and dad you know mm-hmm. as a teenager just about that I don't know it, it took me a long time to realize that I had an issue even though I was getting such severe depression like I would find myself like in the park writing letters to all my friends like, hey, I can't do this anymore. Not intending to like off myself, but certainly intending to like run away to an island and just be like, trust me, like I can't handle me. You can't handle me. And then I wake up three days later and I'm like, I love everything, you know. Um, And the other part of it, to be honest with you, like I'm an immigrant. I'm Canadian. I came here and... I didn't have health care for 10 years while I lived here. And so going to a doctor it's a thing. was a thing. Like it was a... It's a thing. It was a thing. It was, I mean, I'm Canadian too, but I'm half American. So, yeah. Which, you know, it doesn't really help with when I first got here not having insurance really. That's its own thing. But Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's uh, I mean, I got a lot of Canadian listeners, I assume still. Uh, who the hell knows if I have any listeners. But I... Uh, <laughs> We yeah, it's a thing. The states is like you. When I first moved here, yeah, you get a menu. Yeah, <laughs> it's like here's how much it costs to do everything. And yeah, for those American listeners, Canada is much better, but uh, yeah. it's not perfect, but much better. And the other thing that happened is like when I would consider it because I do have a lot of I love my friends and I have a wonderful family of friends and and a bunch of them go to therapy and so they would be like just you know call this guy call that guy. Um, but I would chicken out all the time and I would feel better in those next few days and be like, I I got through it, you know, and then I would, I wouldn't call and I feel so grateful because I go to therapy now. Dr. Roland Moses is his name and I'm not sure if he's 72 or 92, but he is this incredible, incredible old man that's changed my life and I've been with him for five years now and, and I chalk it all up, but even like getting him. I wrote an email to, he was like doing pro bono work and I wrote him an email at two o'clock in the morning like, hey, like I need somebody to help me. There's something is wrong. Like I just can't bear this anymore. And he wrote me back the next day and I got shook and I didn't write him back and he hunted me down. He like called me and emailed me again and insisted that I come in. Like he didn't ignore that problem and he didn't give up on me from one email and that's great isn't that amazing that really is yeah, yeah. Uh, what's what uh, i want to get into some some of the art side of this in a second but, but i'm just curious do you know what his specialty is like what kind of therapy it is i mean he studied directly under freud <laughs> well like not the actual guy right he, his Teacher, I mean, that that, how his old is teacher, this he's an old, old man, but his yeah. teacher studied directly under Freud. And like there was a whole different sect of Freudians that kind of broke off that really kind of took Freud's 
teachings into their own hands and made it hopefully significantly less sexist and (laughs) (laughs) listen he got some core values out of his teachings and he also is a man who has been doing pro bono work and working with like the homeless and he has just like this vast kind of life knowledge that he applies Mm -hmm. to whatever those early lessons were Mm -hmm. so I don't want to say He's like, you know, a Freudian guy. Oh, I mean, yeah. But he's a psychoanalyst. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, there's all sorts of things that, you know, change and, and move. I mean, just because Freud and a lot of his shit was incredibly sexist doesn't mean there is a lot of other stuff that was pretty good. I mean, it all comes and, and goes in different in different ways. I know that my mom's a, a psychoanalyst for a long time and really mm. liked it. And, but it, it's funny how psychotherapy goes in different waves of like, you know, psychoanalyst uh, analysis was like the big thing mm-hmm. for a long time. And then it, it shifted to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what I do. And now it's going towards a more mindfulness approach, which I also kind of do. And there's a bunch of other stuff. So it, it's just, it's interesting how like these things ebb and flow. They do. And he would, and he would say that He's not one thing. He's just Dr. Yeah. Roland Moses. That's it. That's, that's what he is. Kind of and that's the best kind. Thing, yeah. So um, let's go to the art stuff for a second. Uh, so yeah, what, what do you do? Tell us a little bit about, for those that don't know you, what you do, how long you've been doing it. Yeah. I mean, the artist side of my life is my favorite side. I'm an actress and I'm a writer. Um, I just love to pitch a show. And I love to sell a movie. You know, I've never sold a movie, but I certainly, (laughs) I certainly have. I have one in the hands of Point Grey, which is Seth's, uh, Seth Rogen's production company right now, which is great. I developed and sold a show, an idea of mine with them to NBC two years ago, which was amazing. Didn't quite make it to pilot, but I got to develop that script with. NBC and Sony and Point Grey and it was That's amazing. an incredibly hard dream come true. Um, and what else do I do? I, I paint a little bit. Oh, do you? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you paint? There's one, I'll show you. There's one in there that I did. I stopped for a long time, but I just do like abstract stuff. I think I there's a big part of me, like when I was in high school, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to draw animation for Disney. That was kind of the dream. Mm. And then I, you know, life took me in a whole other direction. Yeah, it tends to do that. Yes. Um... So, uh, you know, in addition to the, it's PMMD, correct? Two PMDD. Ends? Just PMDD. I knew mm-hmm. there was two letters in there somewhere. So in addition to the PMDD, you said, so y- y- you would get these bouts of depression, but otherwise you wouldn't, you you wouldn't have that. You'd be fine. So do you have, have you had any other things like anxiety, anything like that in your, uh, uh, Life outside of those moments? Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, I do. <laughs> I actually have... Big I've, smile. It surprises mm-hmm. me, but I have um, a bit of social anxiety, which people find oh, yeah. very surprising to hear. Me too. Um, you too? Mm-hmm. Big time. Really? Mm-hmm. Again, shocked. Yeah, I know. But well, tell me a little bit about yours, and, and, and I'm sure it'll strike some, some of the... Check off some of the same boxes as mine. Yeah. It, social anxiety is interesting for me because that one came on since living out here. Um, but it's, it's a, it's bad. I don't know what to tell you about does, it. Does it hit you in the moment, after the fact, before something? Before. Before. Like I find it hard to motivate myself to go. But in the moment, I'm generally pretty great and I love strangers and this has nothing to do with strangers which is unique to mine like throw me into a pot of strangers and I'm the happiest girl in the world but when it's actually I get social anxiety with people that I already know love me which is very odd I think sure Mm -hmm. and it comes in the form of if I'm if I start to panic it's like I'm I'm just turning on myself as I'm in conversation and like analyzing how everything around me is going. Um, so you, like internally? Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? It does. Is yeah. that social anxiety? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. No. I mean, I have, I've been getting better, but I tend to have um, a lot of uh, Sometimes pre-social, but mine is mostly post-mortem. Mm. Mine is mostly like looking back, you stupid idiot, look at all that. Sometimes it creeps in 
during some during some socializing, and I'll be like, oh my god, look at that! You how'd you do? You know, but I'm fine. Like that's the thing is, I know that I'm mostly fine. But a lot of it will be also looking back on work stuff and thinking, oh, was I was I too this? Was I too that? Mm-hmm. It's always like that kind of thing. So, but I definitely know what you mean of like turning on yourself within a thing. Like the minute you realize it, it, it almost is like you forget how to speak. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But to everyone else, you're probably fine. Totally. It feels like you get too high almost, you know, like one of it those does, kinds of vibes. It does, which I've also done. And that yeah, definitely stops me from making much sense at all. But the thing is, like, we're talking about this, and I, I'm so proud to say that I, I feel so equipped now and, like, you know, running meetings. And I'm, like, doing these pitches, and I, I feel so strong in it. Mm-hmm. But does it ever come after me sometimes? And it really is linked to the PMDD. It's like when I'm hitting that kind of tough week, then it's almost like I wish I could just not do life for that week and like just just right. chill. <laughs> well, uh, going so just to, to try and link the, the the two worlds. I mean, do you see your a lot of the work you do, like in terms of writing and all that stuff? And uh, do you see that connected with with your anxiety and your PMDD? Like, do you, do you see the two interplay? I do. I mean, I, uh, do you, do you mean like, do I use it creatively or does it interrupt or? Both. I mean, like, is, is it one of those things where it inspires you? Is it something that informs you? Is it something that makes it hard, makes it easier? You know, that, I just want to know how it, how it kind of, yeah. what the Venn diagram is almost. Totally. I mean, I write about it a lot. I, you know, my characters are pretty dynamic in their mental states, I would say. And like one of the shows that I've been trying to get off the ground for years is called Homeless Harriet. And this, she's, she's all of the extreme versions of me. And she is, you know, she's so giving and so selfless in such a harmful way to herself that she, you know, values other people's well-being so much more than her own that she ends up living in the streets and she's okay with it. Like she can accept the shittiest circumstances for herself, but it's all to protect her mom and dad for you know, from the reality of her struggle or, you know, she wouldn't turn around and ask anybody for help because that might be a burden to them. So she's fine sleeping under the dumpster, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, no, it's interesting to be able to push characters to extremes on that. So, but but you think every, every character you tend to write falls into that world of having something or another? I mean, I think that makes for interesting characters, frankly. So So do I. Yeah. Yeah. 100% all of them. Yeah. Mm. And then as far as like if it interrupts, the only time is when I was shooting a pilot once, like as an example, I was shooting a pilot once and it was in my tough week. And this is right before I went to a gynecologist. And I think this was pretty much right before I was diagnosed and I was shooting a pilot and, you know, we're comedians. I was there to be funny. And I got, I hit with a panic attack right before they said action and I was meant to like get in there and like do my funny thing and like make some stuff up as I went along and I just couldn't and I just was like, well, I'm just going to say the lines and maybe move around a little funnier than I did last time because I was, I couldn't think and we were on this soundstage and I'll never forget, I went in a corner and I just cried and I cried and cried like so quietly in the corner of the soundstage alone, like in the darkness and I was just like, you've got to get through this day, like and none of it's true. And it was all in my mind. How like, everybody go? was yeah, like, I mean, that was so great, Shug. And it was great. It was great. The yeah. tape was great. Everybody was happy. In the moment, they're like, are you not going to do anything more? And I was like, no. No, I won't. That is it. That's Thank you. It. Yes. Thank you very much. Bow. Wonderful yeah. take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll be I... behind the curtain. But they, I didn't show it, and they didn't seem to know it. And, and... It was, it's all in your head. So that's the part that's super tough too because I also don't want to be like, hello everyone, I'm losing my mind today. Yeah, it's, I, 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 even though I just so desperately want to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and whenever I'm in those moments, I just want everyone to be like, just so everybody knows I'm in a nightmare right now. Yeah. Carrie, don't treat me any differently or I'll cry, but please, like, but yeah, I know exactly and thank you for working the name of the podcast into the, the <laughs> answer. That's a first. I really appreciate that. Um, before you came out to 
uh, L.A. Yeah. You lived in Toronto. I did. Which is where I'm from. Yes. Canada. Uh, and you, uh, well, you were out there and you were, you, you did a, you were on a kid's channel. You were on YTV. I was. Uh, so I'm wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about when you started doing that and like how you got into that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I got into it because I was actually on radio for a while. So I was on a station called Kiss 92 in Toronto mm-hmm. and I started... I started when I was 18, and I was working at the mall in Scarborough, which is where I'm from, and I couldn't afford to go to college. I was wanting to go to Sheridan, but I couldn't I afford it. You did? I did yeah. <gasps> you lived my dream. Oh. Okay. Oakville. Anyway, this is super inside. Anyway, but carry on. <laughs> um, but so I was like working at the mall and I loved my job at the mall. You know, it's all of my favorite things. I was talking to strangers all day. I was a third key, which was a lot of responsibility for me. And so I was working full time and Roots Canada is the store that I worked at, which is like a massive deal in Canada. It's like our flagship store for the country. And so they throw these massive parties every holiday and they threw a giant Christmas party and I was just this sassy little 18 year old thing I had like short short hair I was a hip-hop girl I had my team out in the audience there was like reporters and news outlets and all of these people there and I took my place on the on the um on the stage just like shout out my crew or whatever and I was like in some game and and there was a radio DJ there named Kwamster Monster and when I got off the stage Kwame was like yo you are, look at you, you little sugar baby, you got to come on my show. And I was like, "Eh." you know, I'm not sure, like, are you hitting on me, whatever. He's like, just trust me, come down for one night. And he did, and he invited me down. The show is called The Vibe. So I did a hip hop show with him every Wednesday night for maybe, maybe six months before my voice and my energy, I guess, and the whole thing. I was doing sugar baby kisses. Anyway, and uh, they moved me to the morning show. So then I was doing the morning show in Toronto, which was like a huge deal. I'm a kid from Scarborough. I'm doing the morning show. I'm like 19 turning 20. And the show started to just change. It was like a top 40 show and they were getting rude. And I, I, to this day, do my best not to put out things into the world that I think are not adding to it. You know what I mean? Like they're just like, they're just getting too like raunchy or whatever. Anyway, so I started looking around and YTV called me. Like they, a friend of mine who worked at the station suggested me. They called me to go in and I'll never forget the interview because Melanie York was her name. She was the um, executive producer of the show. And she made me have a conversation between two sneakers, the two sneakers on my feet. And I just went off and it was funny and it was fun and it was different. And yeah, that was my long way of telling you how I got into YTV. I know. That's great. That's, that's, that's a great. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you, that it would kind of come from, uh, almost of, of like needing to get the hell out of something so vulgar <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. to go to like the literal opposite. Yes. Um, uh, cause yeah, I mean that, that must be, I always, I, I hate that shit. See, I enjoy like com- being combative with those people and, 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 sure. and, and, you know, like bringing in my, my, my story of love and spreading that but I do it like a little thug, which really works. Like I'm a, mm-hmm. you know, a little thug love really just spreads it all around. Right, right. Um, but yes, it was polar opposites. And I, when I was on YTV, it was a dream. I was like... How long did you do it? I did it for just over six years. Wow, yeah. And by the second year, I was a creative producer, they called me. So I was like writing my own skits and waking up in the morning and being like, I feel like being an old man today. And then we'd like do a whole episode as dressed as an old man and like just so many great characters. And they had me flying around and doing junkets. I used to come down here to LA all the time. And like I was interviewing some great people like Brad Pitt, Gary Marshall became a mentor of mine because I interviewed him so many times. And to him, he was one of the first people that I was like, Gary, I really do want to be an actor like I think I'm meant to be an actor and he was like you send me your stuff and so I did and I have his letter framed actually in the other room but oh, okay, I to see that. he just wrote me a letter and being like hi I you know I picked through all of your stuff you know of course I'm really busy right now but I think that down the road you and I are going to work together if you're ever in LA so then I quickly was like I'm going to LA for a week and I'm going to meet Gary Marshall mm-hmm. and I sat in his office with him we had coffee flavored popsicles and since then I went to visit him once a 
year. And I was very lucky because just before he died, I got to sit with him and tell him about my, like I got a big movie. I had done Mike and Dave pretty recently. This film that I was in, it was a film that I was in. It's a film. Yeah. I'm naked in it, so you should definitely watch it. But um, I got to sit there and tell him like, hey man, all these years later, I did it. And it was very, very special. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's always nice to hear stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's good. So, so, okay, then tell me, was it shortly after that that you did? When did you stop doing the, the kids stuff? Because, I mean, you made the transition from radio, got too smutty. Um, was it the same thing? Did YTV get too smutty? <laughs> Is that what it was? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, um, I was probably the smuttiest thing on YTV. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I just... I was at the, I felt like I was at the top of my game and I really wanted to be, I wanted to act. I just wanted to be saying other people's words. I was ready for a new challenge and the Canadian market saw me as, you know, sugar. And yeah. I. It was a pretty, pretty low ceiling for a Canadian. Pretty low ceiling. And they're like, we know who you are. You can't be anyone else. And exactly. I was like, no. Yeah. Oh. We'll see about that. And so I came out here, but I came out here kind of without much of a plan. I had a voice agent out here, but they wouldn't rep me as an actor yet. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know anyone. I knew I knew the Bellman at the Four Seasons became my friend because I was there so much for junkets. Uh-huh. Gary Marshall, kinda, and and um, and one other guy. What an LA squad. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so okay so. You, you finished and then you went straight to LA. Like it was it was that that quick? Did you wait around? Did you try and make anything else happen in Canada before you left? I did. I tried to. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I've oh I've been a hustler forever. You know, I come from the hood. We just hustle. You just like have so many side things going on. So I was trying to do a pajama line for a second. <laughs> I pitched a book to a book series to Scholastic which was like this dope book, which I still will make. It's called Port Potter's Bay, and I think I'm going to make it into a cartoon. But you know, they pitched back to me doing Sugar's Guide to Life for Kids, and I was like, uh, I don't know how to tell kids how to live. I'm like, put Band-Aids on your gross open sores. That's like one of my <laughs> big things. But I got shut down a Isn't lot. is that you should just do, though? Put what? Band-Aids on your gross open sores? But maybe kids don't know. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, <laughs> No, but but it sounds like yeah, you they were trying to like just put you as, because there's a big difference between being like a personality and being an actor, mm-hmm. and sometimes you can be both. But it's it's hard in Canada. That is a kind of a thing. We don't have a star system. No, not Canada, at all. Which I mean, for those of you in America who are listening, uh, in Canada, the biggest shit is American stuff. I mean, that's yes. like we, your movie stars or our movie stars, and uh, the biggest Canadians are big because they made it in. America, for the most part. I mean, yes. like, you know, we're, they're sleep, Canadians are sleeper agents. You know, it's it's like it, it's like how uh, it's kind of like how the British. You find out someone's British, you're like they're British, except with Canadians, you'll never. In an interview, you won't know. No, it's true. You won't know. Like, you know how many people are surprised? Like that Seth Rogen is Canadian. That blows people's fucking minds all the time. Which is crazy to me because he's so Canadian. He's super Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to our messed up brains. So you came to L.A. Um, and that's a hard move in and of itself, uh, for anybody, I think we're going to come back to that. I'm going to try and jump back a little bit to, uh, ways of treating yourself. You're in therapy now, which is great for five years. You said, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Uh, I'm wondering, could you tell me about like how you've tried treating yourself for, for this stuff beforehand, uh, stuff you do now that helps, like if you're on any medication and, and like what it was that finally got you to reach out? Yeah. Um, I went on medication thanks to my gynecologist. Um, A psychoanalyst doesn't prescribe you drugs. And our whole thing was, I mean, at least mine doesn't. I don't know if that's, if they're supposed to or what. I don't know. And I'm sure he can, but yeah. He and I were both like, I don't think you need medicine while we were figuring it out. Like while we were just kind of uncracking what my patterns were and like when the these emotional spikes hid and, and what in my life also contributed to all of them because there is stuff. Um, uh, and then the gynecologist, I went there and I was like, I don't know, like if, uh, if, if I want to do it, she's like, oh, honey, no, I do this all the time. And she gave me like a, 
It was like a super duper low dose Prozac, I think. It's over there on the shelf. But um And is that regular or just in those It's you just take it for those two weeks. So you basically take it for two weeks in the month and it's meant to stable you out. And she was just like, Oh no, trust me, your life is about to change. Like you have no idea how much you've been suffering and your life is about to change. I'm on this pill, I do it myself. Like she was just very sure. And I got home and I was like, Ugh. I'm going to try it. But then again, I was feeling fine again. And I was like, well, maybe I don't need it. Like maybe I could do it with CBD. So I right. started just eating CBD cookies. And I was like, oh, it's okay. But sometimes that depression isn't as severe as the other months. And then I got a really bad one. Mm. And then I was like, I'm going to try these pills. And what they did was, because I'm not on them anymore, I did it just for, I think I did it for a year. I took them for a year. And what happened was they let me think straight and see straight for a year to a point that I didn't even remember thinking that straight before. So it was like... And it was just for those those times of the month, right? Just, yeah. just in those, those bursts of... Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. Yes. So two weeks every month I would get on the pill and take the pill, then be like, whoa, like I just wouldn't spin. My thoughts wouldn't expand into 10,000 other thoughts. Um, you still feeling? I was still feeling. All these, yeah. No, I mean, any of these things. I mean, were you still I was, like, but I could talk to myself about it in yeah, a different yeah, way. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the times, at least for me, my depression, it's like you fall off of a cliff and then you're gone. You're on the yeah, other side yeah, of yeah, it, yeah. you know, and, and I, you're like, I can't, I can't stop these, yeah. you know thoughts. So this kind of was like, oh, hey, oh, crazy. Here comes those thoughts or like, oh, here comes that feeling. I can see it coming and I can be rational with myself and handle it. So all of a sudden I had this kind of like very logical brain again. Isn't that nice? It was amazing. And, and, and so you were also, you were in therapy at the same time, I was right? in therapy at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, okay, then I've got, I've got two questions. So, because I think, like, I, well, I've talked about on this podcast about, you know, my experience with when I finally went to a therapist and it was, felt like, it was, you know, shit was rotting out the side of my head. You know, it was <laughs> like, it was just, it was insane. I had to do it, but it was a big step. So, you know, for people that are listening, you know, that might not be getting help and all that stuff, I'm just wondering if you could walk me through. So, what made you go to the gynecologist? Was it like a routine thing? And then she was like, oh, shit, by the way. Uh, or was there something else? And it's same with, with, with reaching out when you did send that email to Dr. Moses. Mm-hmm. Roland. Roland Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call him uh, Roly Moly. Roly Moly. Behind his back only. Well, now it's, um, now it's up. Uh, figure out how to use a podcast. Uh, with Roly, when I first reached out, the incidence was I, I, beca- I mean, I mean, I remember physically, because I know it was 2 o'clock in the morning, I have that email printed. He gave it to me like three years in, like, mm-hmm. hey, remember this? And it was so fascinating to read it, because I don't feel in those extremes ever anymore. Right. Um, but anyways, I remember I was like crying on, on my bedroom floor at like 2 or 3 in the morning, like truly like pacing my room, thinking like I I, I don't want anybody to have to handle me or... Uh, before that, and that was like a really hard week before that, I was like staying, I was house sitting, I used to house sit all the time, and I was at this really rich house, and I got like water on a thing, and I went into a complete like spin panic attack, called my friends, couldn't breathe, like, you have to help me, I need to get the I ruined it. They're going to see it. And, but then it turns into like, and I'm a, who am I? Why am I he- here? You don't, yeah. can't love me. You know, like right, it's right, like right. those. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, honey, it's water. And I'm like, I know, but there's something wrong. Why am I, you, you know. Like a caged animal. Yes. Yeah. But, the, but at that time I was just becoming aware that I had a problem. But I also remember, like, when I first moved here, driving, having a panic attack and calling 
calling uh, somebody close to me and being like, there's something wrong with me. Like, there's something wrong. And them saying, there's nothing wrong. You're just going through a hard time because you moved to L.A. and your life has changed. And I'm like, but I can't see on the other side of this. And then I felt better in two days. And I was like, they were right. I'm just having a hard time because I moved. It's it's really, really hard when you have a moment that is hard. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have a mental health problem because it's like, it, it, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, it's normal to have a panic attack, you know, when you first move somewhere. It's normal to be a yeah. little nervous. It's a little bit more than that if it's like debilitating and you can't move. Yes. You know, but it's, it's hard because you talk to somebody, they're like, yeah, I've moved. It's hard. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah but you don't get it, do you? <laughs> um, and, then, and then going to um, the gynecologist, I think I just... I don't remember if there was an event. I did. Is that it? You know what? That is what it is. I got insurance. I got insurance. Therapy right now. It's like I have insurance. I'll go. And I'm like, oh shit, I have this. Yeah. And then I was there with her, and I'm like, well, this kind of happens to me at this time. And she's like, PMDD. And I was like, what? She was like, PMDD for sure. Just try this. Trust me. Just try it. And her attitude of like, see what happens. Nothing's gonna happen. It's not gonna be bad. Yeah. You know, really helped me. And that's what I say to my friends, like, try it. And I used it as, I think of it as a bridge. I think of it as a bridge from that time in my life where I could see clearly and stand on the bridge and look at what was happening and then get to the other side. That's the thing that's really good about meds in certain circumstances. Because obviously it's not for everybody. And obviously, I mean, I'm a big proponent of if you're going to go on meds, you should be in therapy at the yes. same time. You shouldn't just go on meds and be like, yay. But, um, but that's the thing is because the reason it's so important to be in therapy is if you're going to go down that road, it allows you to take a step back and then actually let the therapy work. Mm-hmm. It gets you to that place you know, yes. where you're able to actually do these things. Because yeah. you can be on meds and not be doing shit for yourself. And you'll maybe be feeling better, but... It, I, you know, it's 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 a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Um, Am I allowed to ask you questions? <laughs> if you'd like to, sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to interrupt your program, but just give me a portion where I get to ask you one thing because okay. I'm so curious about something for you, but I'll remember. Okay. okay. Uh, well, you know what? I'm about to take a hard turn, so you can go ahead and ask. Okay, good. Like did, did any of your panic or maybe to this day, are you ever worried that admitting your health problems will stop you from getting acting jobs or stop people from thinking that you're reliable in a professional sense? Uh, so, I mean, short answer, sometimes long answer, longer answer, which I'll get to. I mean, I think that at first, yeah, for sure. At first, I think it was a big thing where I... I mean, it's why I started the podcast in a lot of ways because, like, I, you know, I, I, I felt like I was out of my mind. You know, but I didn't know if I had anything wrong. And then it took a long time to actually get to go to therapy. And I finally did that. And then it was like validating in the sense of like, oh, okay, I am great. Good. I do have mental health, <laughs> which is super weird, but it was, it was really helpful. But then it became this thing that was just a big part of me. And I felt that the more I opened up about it, the more I talked with people about it, the m- less power it had over me. And like that cloud was lifted and I mm-hmm. started to feel better. So uh, people had brought that up to me. You know, in my life, like, I would post on Facebook, like, oh, I'm having the, you know, deal with this, but, you know, I just want to talk about it. And they'd be like, that's weird. I don't know if I'd want to do that because, like, what if somebody judges me and they don't want to give me a job? And I remember just kind of having this moment of, like, you know, I've been working already and it's been fine. I'm coming out with, like, anxiety and low-level depression, dysthemia, which is, like, just low-level depression. It's not, I'm not, it's, I'm not like, killing, I'm not doing anything crazy. Like, it, it, it sucks. It's mainly just saying, like, hey, I am in pain a lot of the time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just constantly in a weird yeah. place. But uh, the other thing was, like, there was a couple other things. One was, like, okay, if anybody tried to not give me work for that and I could prove it, that's illegal. So, first of all, mm. hey. Uh, <laughs> second of all, though, it's like, well, fuck you. I don't want to work with you anyway if you're going to just 100%. You know, like, I got yeah. anxiety. Because, like, what do you have that you, you're not going to work with somebody with anxiety? Yeah. And if you're going to cut out everybody with anxiety in Hollywood, you're going to be getting pretty low on the list. And you're going to be able to get out of their minds for good yes. reasons. Yes. You know? Great so, answer. 
So yeah, no, but but I absolutely, I mean, and and that's still something that I think uh, is, is part of the stigma, just that you know, because you wouldn't say that to somebody who's got like a, you know, who's in a wheelchair, right? It's it's no. that kind of thing that people wouldn't be like. So you're in that wheelchair. Do you ever worry people aren't going to hire you? It's like, like, well, I get, not for like that. I, I, I don't know. What are you talking about? You know? Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to go do a whole different thing now. Thank you for asking the question. Mm. Uh, okay. So you've got a lot of Instagram followers. You've got. I do. I mean, I, to me, I, I've got like, I, I don't have, you've got like what, 35,000 or something. I looked something, earlier. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that weird? Like, this is a strange <laughs> question to ask. I know. But it's just like, I feel like because so much of this stuff, and it, it kind of relates to your question to me, is like this anxiety and all these things. You know, I've, I've got like maybe 2,000 something, which is cool. I'm like, okay, why? I don't, why? <laughs> so, but I, I think, you know, obviously like, you know, we, the things we do, acting, it's very public in and of itself. It, it, and, you know, hosting, it's very public. It's just a public persona. So then you have this way that kind of, you can quantify it. Like, oh, look at mm-hmm. this. Uh, this is how this I am. This is all this. Like, at a certain point, like, it, uh, did it build steadily? Was there a wave that it came in? And did it give you anxiety when that started to happen? I'm just wondering how you feel about it. I mean, listen, I truly was born ready for an audience. Right. I want all of them. I want everybody to come to everything. And I want them to see all my movies. And I want everybody, you know what I mean? Right, 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 sure. I I love having an audience. And with social media, yes, of course, it was like your emotional involvement needs to take a back seat. Like it's just weird. Like it's a weird thing that's happening. I, I'm not really answering your question. No, no, that's, that's you. Yeah. There was a wave, yeah, and it was called the Flash. And mm. I, I mean, when Mike and Dave came out. I was so excited about it because an- another thing is I actually work in social media. I have a social media marketing company, uh, okay. right? So like, but I I run the books and run the numbers. I'm there to build a company and that's my side of it. But I never engaged in my own in that time. And they're like coming up with all the, oh, you got to do the hashtag and do the tricks. And like this time is the best time to post. But that wasn't healthy for me to put pressure on myself to have a good Instagram. I need to use it and have a relationship with it that I'm happy to just do it and not take it seriously. Mm -hmm. I'm not at a follower count that is going to make a difference for casting. Yeah, I, that's that's the most disgusting shit. And that sucks. And it sucks. And it sucks that you're not at that because it's to me it's like that. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> you know, thirty five thousand. That's not enough. But I guess it, they need like five hundred to a million or something. Yeah. Know. Yeah. There's been a number of times like I've I've definitely not had you know opportunities because I was like, well, there's no social media draw there. I'm like, well, yeah. How do you think that works though? We have you give some, someone a thing, and then you start to have that opportunity. You know, totally soulless, soulless math at times with with the with the production well, side of that. And we say that to you know people that hire our company, whether it's a brand or it's a, a human being. It's like if you have nothing to sell, market. If you don't have a show, if you don't have you know, a a really good, well thought out story behind your product. Like what it's meant for is storytelling. So you could get on there and be like, okay, here are my five storylines that I'm going to delve into, but I just don't want to. And like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I, I like all those, those people. I have fun with Instagram. You do. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Do you, do you consider like, are you worried about your follower count as no. it relates to the industry? No, because well, no. you work I mean, like, too. Because I, I, the thing is, in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I need, I, 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 I think of it more in the sense of like, uh, I wouldn't follow me if there wasn't a reason. Like, I mean, I, I post funny <laughs> yeah. stuff. If you find it, you find it funny. Like, yeah, come on in. I, it's gonna be me being an idiot and and doing stupid shit. Like, come on, yes, welcome to the party. But. I feel like I'm not like it's it's I'm not doing anything. No. It's if if yeah, if I had like a big movie regularly, if I was a celebrity, yeah, could, sure. Yeah, sure. But Come I'm on and so check it. I understand it. why I don't. <laughs> you know, I did the you know, movie recently and it my follower count went up, but that sure. 
That makes sense. That made sense. And but I'm not doing anything to get a high No, high and, high. and yeah. that's honestly, just so you know. Die. <laughs> but die. Yeah, exactly. But it's all also turning that way. Like, unless yeah. it's authentic, nobody's following it. Like, yeah. people are, thank goodness, over that whole phase of looking at things that are not authentic. So You, you promise? Cause I, I really do. I really yeah. do. I really do. They're at least on their way. We're, we're right, going good, in that good. direction. I so. But um, I, I also like to do fun things. Like I'll be like, okay, yeah, here's the here's the trick. And I'll post like a picture of me and, and my titties. And I'm like doing it in conversation with people to be like, like here's the thing. Works. Yeah, I put up a picture of me like looking down. And I look great. But I'm like looking down and I'm like, oh, doing origami on the beach or something. But they cut out the the origami. origami and it's like just my titties in the frame and it's a beautiful picture but you know of course it gets like 4k likes whereas something that i'm like hey i'm really passionate about this gets like 400 or whatever and like I it's just a joke thing and no one gives a shit <laughs> well actually you know here's the thing that i find put your balls like, on there right like i got my balls out there yeah i'm gonna promote the shit out of this on my social media please do yeah Thank you. i appreciate it uh, with my titties i'm gonna like put it, it, oh, that's your for choice. For you. It's your choice. Listen, I, I'm just trying to get you the numbers. I appreciate it. And I'll use my balls. Great. Uh, okay, so I, I just want to wrap up, getting close to the end here. So I've got a few more questions. And like these are just, <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I say answer them as quickly as I can, like kind of a rapid fire thing, but I know they're hard. So just Ugh. whatever comes to your mind. Here's my social anxiety kicking yeah, here in. Here we go. Get a, get okay, up. I'm ready. Uh, what's the best uh, advice? <laughs> Outstanding timing. Thank you. That's what's, a burp. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Worry is the weed in the garden of the mind. Damn, who gave you that? I don't know. <laughs> I say it all the time. Listen, you're asking me for these quick fire things, but it's true. Mm. Learning not to worry was like a very, very good piece of advice. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, that was I mean, a little, yeah. a little um, scripted in my mind. That's I totally just pulled fine. it out. That's totally fine. That uh, learning not to worry, shit. I, I don't know if that's even possible, but I know that it is good to try. But if you think about it that way, if you think of your mind as a garden, as we all should, and then you think of worry as the weed that's like getting in there and killing everything, it's like kind of how I like to put a halt on anxiety and stuff. And my, and my sister actually gave me good advice. I'll give you this one. My sister, she was like, because if we control our thoughts, we're in a really, really good place and we can do that. Like you are, your thoughts don't control you. You control yes, your thoughts. And so I was, while I was like kind of in the thick of one of these throws that I used to have, she was like, put a, you have to picture a stop sign in your mind, like put up a stop sign in your mind. Mm. And I did that for a while. And now I can more be like, hey, Sha, cool it or whatever. And it's, then it's, derail the thought and change the thought, change the thought. It's interesting. You know, I, I, I want to say a couple of things just on that. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things is like, if you can do it, amazing. It, it is easier said than done, but it takes work. Um, I, you know, you mentioned you're not your thoughts. And I agreed with that. Uh, for anyone listening to this podcast that listened to the ones from three years ago, uh, you might have remembered <laughs> me not sharing sentiments like that <laughs> and knowing I should. Uh, you know, my, my therapist was always on me about meditation. And I've done I've been doing it a lot lately. Today I did, I think it was 48 days in a row. Wow. Um, which, uh, don't ask me how the hell that happened. It just, I just kind of accidentally started doing it again. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, when somebody was like, you know, would say to me, like, you're not your thoughts, I'd be like, ah, fuck off. What the hell does that mean? Get out of here, hippie. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's true in the sense that, like, you know, it's so hard to disassociate that from yourself because, you know, we're taught, I think, therefore I am. You know, it's like, right. yeah, that's who you are. Same with art. You know, my art is who I am. It's all these things. But yeah, no, you just learn to like, it, it, the simplest way of putting it is like, yeah, you stop worrying, you stop doing this. But really like the more, uh, the better way of putting it like in a more practical sense is kind of what you said is like being able to go like, hey, I see you. Yeah. You know, I see you're worrying. Just remember you're worrying and be like, oh, I'm worrying right now, right? Worry makes me this. Okay, okay. You just come to that realization. And it's funny because, it, you know, we talk about it like that and it sounds so lovely. But when you first start, if you do start meditating, I promise you the way it sounds for me was like, you're fucking worrying, fucking idiot. You know, you're like, yeah. oh, got it, worrying. You know, you start to realize it, but it's very abrasive. And then you start <laughs> to realize, boy, I sound abrasive. 
And you're like, hey, you know what I could do is be nice to myself. Fucking huh. stupid. No. Wow. Yeah. It's just like a little weird. Uh, okay. Uh, so. Okay. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? Ooh. What is the worst advice I've ever been given? I'll stick to a mental health arts capacity because mm-hmm. otherwise it could be like. Yeah, know, like. Eat this. You don't need a condom. You know, those yeah, are right, bad right. advices. Now, um, Just take another hit. It'll help calm <laughs> you down. <laughs> I think, hmm, I honestly think the worst advice I was given was that I didn't need therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone should be in therapy. I really do. I it don't will, know. It will never hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll never, ever hurt you. No, unless, you know, you're, you got to shop for the right therapist. Obviously, I've had people on the show, there there are bad experiences, but like you should never not seek out good therapy. Yes. Well, what's, what's cool about meditation, which you brought up, I think that meditation is kind of like a really wonderful way of, giving yourself it's not therapy by any means but it definitely calms your brain down and it changes the dynamics in your brain a friend of maybe you know him too um little x his name is director x now anyways he's a director he's from toronto and he's doing this huge initiative um out there right now and trying to bring meditation into schools and Mm -hmm. into like tough neighborhoods and it's like teaching because you're teaching mindfulness, mindfulness yeah. but you're also teaching yourself to be mindful and like talk to yourself. And I don't know. I, I think it's genius. Way. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's the kind of thing you can do by yourself. And at, at a certain point, your judgments just become different. Mm-hmm. Ollie's thirsty. He, I just watched <laughs> him fall asleep, fall down, hit his head, kind of wake up and go, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Here's, a, here's another one. So do you think all artists are crazy? No. No? No. You want to elaborate? I I mean, crazy is such a tough word. I, I say crazy in an ownership sense of like, yeah. you know, I, we've been labeled as crazy as long as people have had, you know, mental illness. I'm going to say no because I work with, uh, like, there's just so many different kind of artists. And I work with a lot of, like, graphic artists who are on these, like, tight schedules and they just, they might as well be a kindergarten teacher. And right. um, do I think a lot of artists are crazy? Do I think majority might have a little spark of something different? Yeah. I do, because I think that you need to be so, uh, when you're making art, you, I think, become very aware of the human condition, and you see the reality of where we are, and that's enough to drive anybody crazy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, the answers to that are 50-50. Really? Yeah. What do you think? I think everyone's crazy. So I know. Everybody's a little bit crazy. I mean, I think that depression, anxiety, all these things are just things we have, blown to extremes and I think everyone's got certain elements of everything and I think a lot of it's circumstantial a lot of it's you know but I think everyone should be treating themselves like they're crazy like go to therapy yes but and I also think that artists often set their lives up so that they have more time to think about themselves and go and spin off and kind of examine their crazy whereas you know like I also know like obviously a lot of like norm that was my stomach I know a lot of um, (laughs) I know you know you know a lot of like people that are nine to five or kind of people and they're on such a strict schedule and that schedule alone helps you from going crazy but then it it can burst you know even if you're in a schedule I know it can feel like it's terrible but if you don't have a schedule it's terrible too. It's mm-hmm. everything can be terrible. Everything can be amazing. But I will say that I've experienced so much benefit from forcing myself on. Oh, me too. And we will talk about that in the extra content. Did it? Did it? What advice would you offer to somebody who's maybe struggling with mental health issues? You could even, if you want to go specifically to people with PMDD, um, what, what advice would you give for for for? You know, being able to thrive, survive, work in the arts, just generally in life. Yeah. I mean, A, I would say recognize that you're suffering and give yourself the allowance to look at your life and say, hey, I'm hurting a lot of the time. And there's such a beautiful other side to this. And it's truly miraculous over here. And 
you know, you just take these little steps and, and, and the way to kind of get there that I would advise is really kind of the thing that I think is why it took me so long to figure out that I had a certain, this certain problem is because I was always so present that I like, I didn't know if a month had passed or two months had passed or, you know, like I had no idea what, where, where I was in my cycle or anything like that. Women in general, we need to track our moods, even if you don't have PMDD. Like it's just so important to become aware of the changes in your body every month because it, it, it can, you know, it can just ruin a lot of stuff. So track mm-hmm. your schedule and there's such an other side to this and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great advice. Absolutely. And I think it's something that, um, everyone, even if you don't have PMDD, you know, should just be yeah. aware of. Yeah. Cause it's like, for God's sakes, like, you know, th- th- that's the kind of thing where I have read stories of women with, you know, I'm not sure if it's PMDD or, or similar other things where, so what, remind me again what PMDD stands for. I know you mentioned at the beginning. I didn't. I think it's premenstrual deep depression. I'm not sure. Right, okay. I'm going to Google it while we're talking. Oh, I'm not. My phone's off. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, premenstrual something. something. Depression. Depression, depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> premenstrual deep dive. Pre- <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that, that's the thing is there's like, I, I think it's got to be especially tough. And I've read so many stories of women with, with similar things, if not that condition. But yeah, they go to get help and the doctors are like, no, you're fine. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, okay, society, ma'am. I mean, just like, I mean, you look at uh, the study of, of female health and, and sexuality, how like there's so many studies on male orgasms and sex and there's mm-hmm. like nothing on women because all the people running it are dudes who are like, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, so I, I think it's, it's unfortunate, but like, you know, recognize that that's the way the world's set up and then seek it out because if something's wrong with you, trust yourself. You're probably right. Yeah. Because even if you're wrong about what you think it is, you might be right that you have something else going on. Yes. And you and it's important to be able to point to it and say, Hey, look at this is how I felt at this time. And and there's always patterns. Yeah. And like it's it's really fascinating. And it's I think, you know, knowing your body, it's something that they should tell girls when they're little. Uh, what would you like to see done to help release or release uh, decrease the mental health stigma in society? I think more I think about our lane, right? I think about shows and movies because that's where mm-hmm. I did so much of my learning. And I, I think that the more we um, involve these types of stories and kind of expose them in, in those ways, I think is very key. Um, so I think that's how I would like to see it. I would like to see more of that. And even, you know, these incredible documentaries. There's one on Netflix right now. Have you seen this one about girls getting their periods? And No, the one that won the Oscar. Yeah. I haven't yet, but I did love the speech. Yeah. That was so fun. Yeah. It's so stuff like that, you know, I want to just see it in the media. That's my place yeah. and that's where I like to learn and that's where I like to spend my time. So I love it if it's there. like not a big deal. That's something that, that's been... I know bugging me a lot and I talk about it with my girlfriend a lot, you know, we, when something does something good, but then makes a point of going like, see what we did. And you're like, just do it. Just do it and just keep do it. doing it. Okay. I have one question I wrote down that I just, I think you did cover without me asking. So sugar, that's not your, is that your given name? My government name? No. My government, government name? name is Stephanie. Right. Um, beautiful name. But I've been Shug for so long. My parents call me Shug. My nieces. Actually, I don't have any nieces. All of my nephews call me. <laughs> <laughs> All of my nephews call me Auntie Shug. Where did it come from? Did it come from that what you were talking about? It came from Quamster Monster. It came from, okay, that's what I thought. I was wondering mm-hmm. if that was the origin story. I just forgot to ask. Uh, okay, well, uh, social media. We talked so much about it. Yes. I just want to know, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, come to my Instagram. That's where I spend most of my social media times and where I contribute the most. So come on over at Shuglin, S-U-G-L-Y-N, and say hello to me. I like to talk to everybody. Um, yeah, and I just like to put out good stuff and then sometimes some funny stuff. So, yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Shug. This was so great. How did that go? I think it went well. All right, there you go. That's it. That's episode two. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Sugar, for being here. She was so great. Uh, amazing conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, if you have anything to say, anything at all, please do so. 
in a review for the podcast. It'd be great. It really helps. Just click five stars or however many stars you want um, on another podcast. Five stars on mine, though, would be great. Uh, leave a written review. It helps a lot. Subscribe if you haven't already. You can email me if you want to at it's all in your head podcast at gmail.com. Uh, also follow me on Instagram where I post a portrait of each guest and I will eventually be posting behind the scenes videos of people's homes and all that. When I get my act together, uh, you can follow that at it's all in your head podcast. That's on Instagram. Um, thank you so much for listening. Join us next week. My guest is my friend Tori Catalano. He's a filmmaker, and he's very insightful. He's going to say this. I had a therapist when I was like 11, and my parents were like, you know, I went to all these sessions. They're like, what does he have? And I swear to God, he just goes, I think he's kind of a jerk. And I am going to say this. I'm probably going to cut out everything I just said, because it was all me. Okay, thanks so much. See you next week.